I only started learning that, I don't know, six months ago. I, I had a friend that was going to seminary, and I decided to use that opportunity. So, so, so he was preparing, you know, for, for a Greek test for, you know, entering, and I decided to use an opportunity to force myself to learn as well. And, I mean, I, I did two to three hours of Greek a day, and it, I, I learned a lot, but it, it, it's just a process, and I, I'm not doing that much every day now. I, I couldn't keep it up, frankly, but, um, yeah. The only thing I know is the Greek letters, I, 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 and I know certain words because, you know, if you study uh, history or archaeology, you have to study Greece. Yeah. <laughs> the cradle of democracy and all that. <laughs> um, but I just, I yeah, I find it very interesting. I I do not have an ear for language. I I, I tried. I I took French. I took Spanish. I took Italian. I just don't have an ear for it. Yeah, well, I I'm not really fluent in any other languages. I I just kind of like language and I like text. And um, I mean, I'm maybe better than average, but I'm not. I'm certainly not especially good. I mean, some some people are just, you know, you know, you know, really really geniuses for language, but that's not me. I can't do hieroglyphs, but I studied them for a long time to understand. Oh. So I can do Egyptian hieroglyphs. Um, Interesting. But only, I, I'm not an expert, and I'm not an Egyptologist, but I've always had a great love of Egyptology. So sort of as a side thing, I, I got books on how to read uh, hieroglyphics, and, and there's also, um, I interviewed a archaeologist who's an Egyptologist, and she has a radio, uh, a podcast about hieroglyphs. So I, I listened to her, her and her husband, who are both experts at it. And that's about my oh, my speed. I just a little bit. <laughs> um, well, um, yeah. I that's not a topic. I mean, I have some general historical knowledge. I, I mean. I kind of, you know, have like a, a general like interest in like occult stuff just for fun. Um, I mean, not 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 like a spiritual like connection or anything, but and so you know some of that I, I guess I, I maybe have some more background, but it's I mean my 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 study really has been you know more in South Asia and and Christianity and you know, that kind of thing. I I mean I I also majored in computer science and philosophy. Um, I, I did a few different things, you know, for my undergrad, but, but my master's wasn't in religion, primarily South Asian religion. I loved philosophy. It was really funny. Um, I think it was my community college philosophy teacher. I saw him about 10 years later, and I, he remembered my paper. Oh. I was like really oh. surprised. I mean, a professor who sees thousands of papers, he remembered my paper. I was like, "Whoa!" He says, "No, it was charming." That's what he, that's what he called it. Because <laughs> it, it's hard yeah. not to remember something so charming. I think that's what he said. Something like that. Uh, oh, fun! <laughs> Isn't that cool? 
don't really expect to run into your old professor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah, I, I, it's always fun when you run into people you've been seeing in a long time. Um, you know, it's like the, the universe is inspiring to arrange us into <laughs> new configurations. But. Yeah, that's true. It's, it, but it's really, I was like, very, he was a very, he was one of my favorite teachers. So it sort of was nice. It wasn't a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's well, and actually, you know, one advantage of like you know going going to a community college is often you can, um, you know, find you know professors that that, that are focused on teaching. Mm-hmm. And at universities, it depends, right? There are people there that are great at teaching. I, I had many such people. Me too. Some, some, I'm, I'm more focused on their research, and teaching isn't as important to them. Yeah, there's some people like that. Um, but I prefer the professors who really love teaching. I had a great teacher when I was studying anthropology and archaeology at my university. Uh, he, he taught peoples of India. And he knew everybody in India because he was he was an anthropology an anthropologist he was an anthropology he was an anthropologist so he knew the Dalai Lama he knew the a guy, a guy who wrote the Kama Sutra he wrote he knew all these people and he brought them into our class I met the Dalai Lama I didn't even know who the Dalai Lama was I was only twenty. Well, the the guy that wrote the, the Kama Sutra Vatsyayana. I mean, he lived in like the the. Oh no! I mean, he modern writings about. The oh, Kama I see. You know, books okay. today. Yeah. Uh, okay. About the Kama Sutra. Well, not today. It was in the. It was in the late eighties. Um, no, sorry, it was the early eighties. Um, he wrote books about the Kama Sutra. I didn't even. I um, was really dumb, dumb kid. I didn't even know what that was. Yeah. After well, I, I found out about it, I was like, "Ooh, I must read his book." <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess the Kama Sutra is, you know, it's kind of a cultural phenomenon in a way. At least it's, it's a word we all hear, but I don't think many people have actually, you know, read it. I, 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 I've read parts of it even. I haven't, I, I haven't read the whole thing. But. I think it's really see. That's one of the things that the uh, expert said. He said that it's not, it's a manual, so it's not really meant to be read like a novel. He goes, you, it, you know, it, it, you read the parts you're interested in, you go through in, it until you find something that you're interested in, and then you read that. He, and nobody knows it as a whole, unless you're like me, and you're studying it for uh, educational reasons. Mm. But but and he goes even I am not an expert even though I'm I know a lot about it nobody really is I thought that was a really interesting take on it. <laughs> yeah it um yeah I mean I, I guess it, it all kind of depends upon how, how you engage with it and and how um it's it's you know meant meant to be read. Yep. It's it's an inter- it's interesting, but yeah he's but the more interesting one for me was the Dalai Lama he was he was so nice his he had a translator but he really didn't need one I understood every everybody in there was a very small class there's only eight of us and it was like a senior class 
And um, it was really funny because uh, we all understood every word he said, but he has a translator. We huh. asked him later, why do you have a translator? We all understood you. Because afterwards we could talk to him and just talk like people instead of being lectured. Um, and he and we asked him, and he says, well, he goes, I have an accent, and sometimes people understand me, and sometimes people don't. It's just safer just to travel with a translator because that way people always understand what I'm saying. It's kind of logical, huh? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, he was really nice. I liked him a lot. Very friendly, down to earth. He was, he was there just to talk about um, what uh, he, how he became the uh, Dalai Lama, um, and the history of it, and um, what he, uh, what his job was. It was really interesting because you don't get that information usually. Um, they, you just the Dalai Lama is here to raise money for for Tibet, da, 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 and stuff like that. That's what they talk about. But the actual history is fascinating. Did you know the Tibetan people were great warriors before they all became Buddhists? And they they actually nobody it was there was no um, war or, or leader or anything. They voted to stop war, being warriors, and they and they came together to uh, create a peaceful environment. I, 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 it's one of the few times in history that's happened. Uh, yeah, well, I, I knew that, that certainly in Tibet that there was, I mean, more of a militarized society. I, it's, not, it's not like my Buddhism that, that I specialize in, so I, I don't know particulars. But I, I had known that, I guess, in broad strokes. Yeah, it was very, it's just very interesting. But anyway, so that was one professor I really loved. He was just, he was a wonderful professor. Um, he was also a really great teacher. He was, just, but he brought these great speakers too. So it's like combination of both things. It's always fun to have a professor like that, and really engaged with us. Because you reminded me when you said you had professors who were really engaged. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm just kind of thinking through. I had a um um uh, it's a great professor for a computational cognitive science class. I I had. It, it's really funny. Um, I just like he he had this thing for Noam Chomsky that he uh, Noam Chomsky was like the smartest guy born in like 500 years. Which I don't know may may be true. I don't know, but um, Chomsky is certainly a very intelligent person. Um, but um, I I was very fortunate with math professors too because they they especially have a penchant for being kind of into their research and not being as good at 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 kind of dumbing things down for the undergraduates. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, that was my that was my reality. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I was on the other side that I did not have great uh, communicators as uh, with mathematics and stuff. Science, I did, but mathematics, no. Yeah. So you're lucky. I, yeah, I I was pretty fortunate there. I had one bad apple, but the other three for my undergrad were were 
quite good educators. Um, yeah, I math is something. I mean, I I was pretty good at math, but it was something you, you really have to kind of keep it up. It's it's a, a skill you know requires you know kind of fluidity that that if you don't nurture it, it's just. I, I remember certain things I had to relearn a few times, you know, you know, for three different semesters and that kind of thing. It's really funny. Um, this is going to go back. Did you ever take it? I did not take the class because of this, but I know a lot of people in my class that did take the class because they thought it was an easy A. Um, and then you go into the class, and it's not. Um, I was in junior high school, and I loved to sing. And uh, I had a, it was a um, music teacher who was for, it's sort of like a glee, but it was it was basically um, just like choral singing. But what was that doesn't make it an easy A is that one of the things she taught was music appreciation. It wasn't actually on the syllabus. She just wanted to teach it. And so she, and I loved it because I, I mean, I had never gotten such in-depth information about the great composers. I mean, she went through everybody, uh, you know, from more modern uh, composers to the ancient composers and really gave the histories of each one. You never heard such grumbling when it came to test time. Um, I thought this was going to be an easy class. All we're going to have to do is write about this. You know, and why are we having to do this? <laughs> <laughs> it was all we have to do is sing, right? <laughs> yeah, I I took an astronomy class. Um, I, I think it was a gen ed, but I mean, I, I liked astronomy too when I was younger, and it was a class that had a lot of, that was commonly taken by people who weren't, you know, you know majoring in some, something quantitative. And it, it, I thought it to be fairly straightforward. I mean, like, like the, kind of the algebra in, in the homework and the test, you know, I, I didn't find very difficult, but, but apparently the, the, the the average grade in a lot a lot of the assignments wasn't wasn't very good. Um, so, oh, I had a yeah. great astronomy teacher when I was in community college. Oh, he was brilliant. He's he, he, he one girl was wearing a Star Trek T-shirt from the original Star Trek, and he says, "Oh, let's talk about parsecs." And he explained what a parsec was and how it works and all this other stuff. I mean, that and it wasn't. I I doubt it was even in his course notes for that day. He just thought, oh, Star Trek, good parsecs. We'll talk about that. Well, yeah, because what is it? There's there's one. I'm, I'm trying to even think what the error is now because there's there's one part in. in oh no, I'm thinking of in Star Wars. Oh, there's where, a lot of errors in Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah. Star Wars is fun. Star Trek really, they they used to have, Gene Roddenberry used to have notes from NASA, books by 
Isaac Asanoff, the, not just the the uh, stories, but his actual books on nonfiction, and um, and the Bible and Shakespeare on his desk, and those were his things when he was writing his scripts. <laughs> so that's why his scripts were so complex and complete and interesting. <laughs> he only got from the best. He actually had notes straight from NASA. Interesting because I, I I'm surprised that that Gene Roddenberry I guess so so intentionally would 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 you know have the Bible right there just because I mean some of Star Trek right you know you know like in Deep Space Nine you know is is you know intentionally religious in in its content but um, a lot of it you know kind of portrays a society you know that's past religion. And that kind of thing. So, well, there's there were some books. There were books. There were some episodes of Star Trek that were quite. Um, they were about religion, but in a non-religious way. It was it was a teaching thing, like the apple, or um, what's the other one that was very religious? Uh, Paradise Lost, uh, stuff oh. like that. Um, and stuff, and there were several. Uh, he didn't necessarily write those. The, the, he may have like given notes at this, to Gene Kuhn that he wanted those stories done, um, because they all you know writers' rooms and stuff like that. But um, and it probably was assigned to someone. But there were several uh, scripts like that. But he also had several scripts about Shakespeare. Uh, uh, the one where um, the, they had the Shakespearean company, well, this is the most obvious one, the one where he had the Shakespearean company uh, on his ship and the the uh, actor manager was actually a serial killer, a genocide, uh, he, he did genocide. And, oh. and, and one of the few witnesses was Kirk and another um, crew member and they were um, there was an attempt on his they, they and one of his best friends was killed who was also there and that's why he went to the planet um, and uh, it was it, it, I, what was it Romeo and, one was Romeo and Juliet when they were watching a film and but on the ship they did Macbeth I mean oh fun yeah it was a very complex script. Um, and I think that one was by Gene. And um, but yeah, he, but it, there are a lot of his um, his titles were Shakespearean. Um, yeah, Shakespeare was a big part, and the Bible were a big part. They just were snuck in sometimes, very subtly in there. Um, I, I don't think he was religious. I think he just thought it was. An interesting idea, story. You know, Bible's full of great story ideas. <laughs> it is. So I think he thought it was a great source for stories. So that's what he um, he, he did. And I know that other people who wrote scripts were like that too. And there's other shows like that where they weren't religious shows, but they used the different sources, um, materials from different things that you would not necessarily uh, associate with that show. And it, it, I think it, screenwriters 
and TV writers are the most fascinating people because of stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, and also if you want to, you know, kind of like like you know make connections that that viewers will understand. You know, Shakespeare and the Bible are are some of you know the best sources you can draw on. I mean, today doing things like current events or you know can sometimes work better, but 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 Shakespeare and the Bible are certainly more reliable than just about any other classical work you would pick up. Remember though, this was during the height of Vietnam and the hippie movement and all these things. They were actually saying things about like, anti-war and stuff like that, but they had to get through the NBC censors. So they had to do it in ways that people wouldn't see what they were saying. That's interesting. I well, like it's funny that that you know I I've always my whole life basically has been kind of under a a constitutional regime in this country where which is you know you know really really rigorously you know free speech oriented right. Um, which is I mean and legally speaking that that's a pretty new thing, like. I mean, the Supreme Court didn't actually strike down a state law on grounds of violating free speech until the 1930s. Mm-hmm. That was the first time that ever happened. Um, but it's just, you know, how, how we are right now with, you know, basically, you know, any kind of speech criticizing, you know, the government would, of course, be permissible. Um, that... That kind of thinking is is you know a fairly recent in the country's history, and you know certainly if there was censorship of um, during during a wartime, that that wouldn't fly today, um, legally speaking. So. Yeah, but that's what my point is. They, if you do it in science fiction and you put it into another world, and you have factions that don't look like us, and they're fighting, but the whole point of it is what's going on here on earth and talking about the sufferings of the the people who are suffering under war or the threat of war or the loss of family and stuff like that it, it that's what it's about that's exactly what it's about they that's why but they don't have the censors that they do like they did in the 60s 70s and 80s but there's other problems now where they have like um, people wanting to ban things and nasty people who want to kill people because they said something that's against a different group, and so we still have the same problem, but it's more of a different kind of problem. So you still have to be sneaky, um, yeah, in order to get I, the point across and get these people to feel something beyond their rhetoric. Yeah, I, 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 um, I, I think I agree with that. I, I mean, yeah, like, like science fiction and fantasy too, it, it does kind of give you this space that's kind of, I guess, demilitarized or like, you know, it, it lets you stand outside the world and kind of, you know, scrutinize it from a, a, a more neutral vantage point. That's true. That's, and it's, it's done, I mean, he also, Gene Roddenberry said he used to get through the censors by just having a sexy girl with sexy clothes, and they'd be so worried that there'd be something wrong with a sexy girl <laughs> in a sexy clothes, they wouldn't look at the content. 
that's great. And, you know, some of those clothes were sexy. Um, especially the ones from the original Star Trek. If you wa uh, looked at those clothes, I, I mean, and, and Kirk was, was always without a shirt. Um, you know, you know, they gave some, both sexes, um, all, anybody, uh, just, uh, to throw off the censors from content. It's, it was, it, yeah, it's, it's a clever plan. Um. Yeah, no, that, that's, um, I mean, I know that, that, um, like, philosophers writing in like the 16 and 1700s in, in in much of Europe would do things like in, in, you know include um you know like proofs for god or the work just for that reason mm -hmm. because it it would like you know throw throw off censors that well they they include included this proof for god so obviously the work is is, is okay then that, that kind of thing yeah, they ha yeah, because there's always been some kind of uh, restriction on on creative people, always. Um, you know, whether you're in Middle Ages or ancient Egypt or ancient ancient well, yeah, ancient England or something like that, or the U.S. when uh, in pretty much the entire history. Um, uh, you have to be very careful because different sanctions will not like you and then there would be all kinds of problems and you don't want that so you have to they, they called it being sub rosa because things would be um, underneath the seal would be a rose or they would uh, meet to discuss something and the in the doorway there would be a rose so that would always mean a secret oh that's, okay. where, that's where Sub Rosa came from. I, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, well, it, it's, I mean, like, historically, you know, probably the, the, the most common situation where, you know, writers would want to be subversive was actually against rulers. Um, you know, you know, just like today with politics, right? You know, mm -hmm. we want to criticize um but of course, for the criticizing a ruler in through most of history would get you killed yes. <laughs> or exiled at least. You know, something very bad. Prison and, for prison forever, or um, yeah, yeah, some some nasty outcome. Yeah, I I think of um, of the the um, Byzantine emperor Justinian, um, who was mostly a dictator for, for, for most of his in a quite successful reign. But uh, what we know about him um, is primarily through a, a historian called Procopius. And he wrote a very, a very kind of laudatory, you know, praiseworthy history of Justinian. Um, but we also have one copy of his secret history from, um, which is the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. um, which which paints him as as evil and power hungry and insane. His wife Theodora is a literal demoness. <laughs> um, and and it's the same guy writing both of these. And it's just that's kind of 
you know, you, you have this public face where you say all the nice things because you have to, and then you have this private face where you say all, all these really nasty things just to kind of vent, I well, guess. It's just like um, uh, Cleopatra was thought of as this evil, seductress, sexual woman who used her wiles on Caesar and Anthony to get her way and blah, blah, blah. But uh, if from other texts, Arabic texts and uh, texts within Alexandria that didn't get destroyed when the library got destroyed, um, they found, no, it's not true. I mean, she did have relationships with both those men, but it was kind of mutual. There was no evil seduction. They both wanted something from each other. Um, you know, Caesar wanted something from her, and she wanted something from Caesar, and Anthony wanted something from her, and she wanted something from Anthony. It was, it, there was a political reason on both sides, and it was mutual. Nobody got fooled there. Um, but, you know, that's the way they have it in, in history, and people still see her and think, oh, she was beautiful, she was a siren, she was a bitch, and she was all these terrible things. And in reality, I mean, that's a beautiful part, but in reality, she was just a really good ruler who was the first one of the Ptolemies who actually spoke Egyptian and actually cared about the Egyptian people and did things for her people. Um, not many of the rulers of the Ptolemy period did that. So history is by whoever writes it, you know, really don't trust history completely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the winners that, that write history. Yeah, exactly. Um, almost always. Yeah. So, sometimes the winners are, are quoting their opponents, and that's actually how we have um, some, some text. It is. So, so sometimes the winners are, are, are helping us you know, you know, know these 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 other views as well. True. But but um, yeah, pretty much it's it's the story told by um, the people that were successful. It's really interesting, isn't it? You know, it, it that there's so many. You have to actually read a lot of different things, or the historian who's putting it together has to read a lot of different things to really get a real understanding of the people of the ancient times that they're talking about. Because, you know, everybody has their bias, and the bias is in all of that stuff. So you have to really look at it and understand it and understand the language, because they're all different languages, and to take out the truth, to find the truth. It's, it's, a, it's a very difficult process. you you got to give it to the historians who do it. Yeah, you know, I I agree, and well, and that's why it's 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 nice to kind of you know take these classes with these great professors that 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 have you know done done that hard research. It's it's, it's lovely how you do it yourself. Um, you can if you work at it. Um, and but it's it's just it's 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 very hard to to take you know one source as as authoritative. I have a question for you. You are obviously very intelligent. Uh, you've studied a lot. Where did you start? Did you, did you start writing before, or is it your writing sort of a um, sort of like a way to relax? 
Uh, oh, okay. So, I mean, I, I wrote, like, kind of as a kid, some, you know, on a little, little chapter book kinds of stuff and short stories. I mean, it was sort of a hobby when I was younger. I didn't, um, I mean, and, and I mean, obviously I wrote for grad school. I, I, you know, my, my, my graduate work and a lot of my undergrad was in humanities stuff. Um, but actually with fiction writing, I didn't return back to that in actually intending to publish anything until I had, um, so, you know, I work in healthcare IT. I, I have for a number of years, but I was under a non-compete after I left the company for a year. And so I, I really couldn't continue in that career for, for a year. And I decided I'm going to write a novel. And I, I, I did that in about five months. Um, and and then I started writing, you know, short stories. And actually the, the very first short story I wrote then um was was the the uh, a word that means everything that was eventually that story was the was the one that you know won writers of the future for me were um, you um were you a reader i mean with all your studying it's hard but were you a reader uh, did you like science fiction or fantasy or um classics what, what was the, what did you read I, I read a fair amount of fantasy when I was younger. I mean, like, you know, I loved The Wheel of Time when I was a kid. I, I tried to reread those books more recently, and it, it was just too, too many words to accomplish too little. It just the plot moved so slowly. But, um, I mean, it just my sensibilities there have changed. I mean, I, I like short stories now and that kind of thing. Um, but I read... I didn't read as much science fiction when I was younger. I I, I I read both fantasy and science fiction now. Um, you know, really a mixture. I it, it's I, I kind of you know I guess those genres kind of grew on me more you know as as I started writing them. Um, it 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 I mean now when I read fiction it's pretty much all fantasy and science fiction. Um, when I was younger, you know, I'd read more classics or just, or just kind of, you know, general, general novels. Um, um, and now it's, a, a lot of it is, I, I just tend to, tend to, tend to prefer, I guess, I guess contemporary writing. I mean, the, the writing style just strikes me as cleaner and, and, you know, pe people like Charles Dickens, it's just how, how, how for me to, to get into that, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I, I'm kind of you know, someone who's you know, you know, you know, smartphone and social media, and so I have a short attention span, and I, I can't read things at a fast pace or something. I don't know, but it's, it's just um, harder, harder for me to, to get into classics now. I think it also depends on the classic. Sure. I mean, there's some classics that are really clean. I mean. Uh, the Time Machine by H.G. Wells, a very clean story, and it's very short. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There definitely are short classics, too. That, that's true. And, of course, I still read things like the Bible today. And, you know, I mean, so it, it, it kind of it kind of depends. Um, um, it's, well, I've, I've joked that with, with board games, there are a few really old 
you know, few old board games that are, you know, just great, right? Like, like chess and, and go and that kind of thing. And then, and then there is this, this time which is just like a wasteland of awful board games like Risk and Monopoly, Artezi, and, and now, you know, the last like 30 years, there are just great board games, right? You know, so many just wonderful board games. And I think in terms of my reading, that's kind of how it is too. I read like some really, really old classics that I love. And then, you know, I read a lot of newer stuff and I don't read as much in the middle there. Well, I mean, it's, it's all, it's pure taste. Um but yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. I mean, you're not supposed to discriminate and see, figure out what you like and what you don't like. That's the point of reading. As long as you read, the point is to read. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, well, and like, when you read, I mean, you're, I mean, your time is valuable. And a book takes, what, I don't know, 15 hours to read or something. I mean, obviously, they vary in size. But it just, you, you, you're only going to read so many books during your life. And so... Don't, don't read classics just because you think, like, I need to be fancy and read them because they're famous literature. I mean, read the ones you like and maybe read others because you have to for a job. I don't know. You know, certain, certain books you have to read for reasons. But, um, but yeah, yeah, generally read things because you enjoy it. That's, that's, that's what thing. I believe. I, I, and see, I, have, I don't have restriction in my head about genre. I read all different kinds of genres. I like and I like nonfiction and I like all kinds of different things. And I don't read the same thing one after another. Like I'll read a mystery and then I'll read a science fiction and then I'll read a classic and then I'll read a nonfiction and I'll go all over the place. Uh, I like variety. <laughs> yeah, it's well. I guess part of it too is, I mean, one reason why I read at least for fiction you know you know you know science fiction and fantasy is because you know when you want to write these things it's just important to kind of immerse yourself in the genre and and if you only have so many hours to read it it just kind of moves you more to focus but um yeah i mean i i i probably should read more like mysteries or um just to kind of get the feel for them. I I I, I don't read many massive yet though. Well, the first book I really fell in love with was a murder mystery. Um, so, but um, my father was a huge science fiction fan, and he wanted both his children to love science fiction. So he very intelligently figured out what was the best books for each of his children, and uh, we, we he gave us different books because our personalities are very different. And so he gave me books that were, were strong female leads. Um, and even though they were older books, uh, he goes, I know you love this. And he gave it to me, and I did. I mean, you, I mean, your, your, your parents should be a source. If they're not a source, there should be someone else who knows you well enough to be a source of what books to read when you're young. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, books reading should never be a chore. You shouldn't read it because you have to. I mean, the worst time I ever had was when I was, and I love books, but with some of my English classes where they said, you have to read this book, no choice. 
And it's like, and it was a book I had no interest in. That was slugging it for me, even though I love to read. But if I, the best English teachers were saying, okay, uh, we're doing this this year. You have a choice of this meant in books, and there's usually a hundred books that you had a choice of, and you pick your book that you want, and that's what we're going to work on. Um, each of each individual person would be reading their book, um, but that's that's more for me. You know, I'd like freedom. <laughs> yeah, no, I I I get that. Well, and. Um, you know, wanting to enjoy what I'm reading too is, I mean, I, I stopped, you know, doing Sanskrit seriously, essentially, well, partially because there's so few jobs, but also because it's a really hard language and I got tired of very often staring at a sentence for half an hour and not understanding it. Um, it, it was really hard reading. Uh, yeah, um, it's one of the hardest things and, to read. <laughs> I, I mean, if I had held on for another, you know, three or four years, I probably, you know, could have could have managed. I mean, I did better than average in my classes, but it's just I I'm not sure I wanted to give so much of my life to to um, that language. Um, you you lead a very busy life. You're very intelligent, and you love uh, science fiction. How did you get into the writers' contest? What did you find it from, did somebody recommend it? Did you see it in an ad? Did you see it on Facebook? How did you get into it? And how many times did you submit? Um, yeah, good questions. I um, I found it either just Googling or maybe on the submission grinder. I'm not sure. Um, maybe both around the same time. But, um. So I first submitted, you know, uh, the, the first story I submitted ever was the one that eventually won, you know, Word That Means Everything. But it had a really awful beginning at that time. I mean, that, that, it was the first story I, I ever wrote that I actually planned to sell. I didn't, I didn't know how to write beginnings. It was like, you know, 2,200 words of just info dump. It was very bad beginning. Um, so I submitted... Uh, another couple times after that, and then I went back and I resubmitted, you know, with a word that means everything, with a beginning that was much leaner, and that's and that's when it won, you know. So on my on my fourth submission is is what I won. And uh, what uh, did you win? Which prize? Uh, um, have you gone to the awards thing yet, or? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I got first place. Okay. And Congratulations. I I went so the um so COVID you know made things complex right yeah. so I I first heard that I won I think it was April of 2019 wow <laughs> um and so you know typically the the um the workshop and award ceremony is you know, would have been the next April because I won for the first quarter of the year. But then COVID hit, you know, in February of 2022. Mm. 2020. Yeah, yes, it's 20, yes, it was. Because it's COVID-19, but it only, but, 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 but that's because it started at the very end of 2019. Right. It's, and it didn't, um, it didn't affect everybody in the world yet, but 
but the world shut down in 2020. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, there were, um, you know, I think three delays. Um, I'm really impressed with Galaxy Press and Office Services for re- rearranging that so many times. But they showed a lot, a lot, a lot of dedication. Um, but, but, um, yeah. So, so the workshop finally happened um, back in October of 2021. So just, you know, what four months ago or something. Yeah, it was a combination of the two. Which book are you in? You're yeah. in 36. I'm in 36. Okay. For uh, for those who don't know, read the. Do you have the book with you? Can you read the whole title for them? Uh, I don't have it with me, but the the title is is L. Ron Hubbard presents Writers of the Future, Volume Thirty Six. Perfect. And so, when you went to the to the uh, the workshops, were you impressed with the um, the the teachers who you know the professional writers who were teaching you, and also. Uh, who was your illustrator, and were you excited when you met them? Um, yeah, yeah. So my illustrator w- w- was Heather Warren. Um, she, um, yeah, well, yeah. It, it definitely was a highlight of, of the week getting to meet her. Um, so I like. I mean, we we talked about about a lot of this kind of stuff too. You know, you know, languages and. Anthropology and and um, you know like there were some like the um, Dave Sarlin you know the main editor for the contest and well until until he passed just about a month ago unfortunately yeah um but um you know he he wanted me to to um, change you know kind of something about you know you know one of the you know, the master's at the end of my story, you know, basically to make it fit better with the ecology. And, and I did that, it, you know, it improved the story. But, 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 but Heather had been writing with the original version of the story. And um, so her illustration ended up drawing upon the older version of my master's. So it's kind of an Easter egg in the, uh, in the illustration. That's cool. So... You have uh, you, someday you can publish both of them. Yeah, yeah. It, it's. Um, I mean, I, I don't think that any any reader would ever, you know, think less of the illustration. It's only a, a small little thing that that. Um, but it it it, it makes the, the illustration have, have more life to it. That's good. That's what it should have. Um, we're coming to the end. Uh, do you have anything that you're writing now? Um, anything you're working on? Um, so my big project right now is I've been editing an anthology of of um, science fiction and fantasy stories about religion um, called Strange Religion. The um, I mean, I mean, I mean, the idea here is to you know help help readers engage you know, more more deeply with religion, you know, through kind of the lens of science fiction and fantasy. Um, and that'll be coming out in April. Um, 
So the editing is all just about done there. I'm doing layout now. But in terms of writing, I've been writing the, the, the introduction um, for that. And so, so far, I've made a series of blog posts on my website, andydibble.com, um, which are basically about, you know, this topic of how science fiction and fantasy can help us think about religion, you know, what, what the value of these genres is in terms of, of, of understanding religion more deeply. Um, so I've been writing, you know, nonfiction in that way. I've also recently gone back to writing some, some new short stories in the same kind of universe as my Writers of the Future winning story. Um, I guess in particular, you know, my Writers of the Future story was kind of about how um, Bible translation, um, you know, you know, helps, you know, helps kind of accommodate and draw in a whole kind of, you know, sweep a, 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 a very different species, you know, species that are, um, you know, you know, mentally and psychologically and culturally and physically, you know, very, very different. But they're all kind of accommodated within, you know, the tradition that, that the Bible initiates. But um, another story I'm writing right now is, is about kind of the opposite, how, how the difficulty of, of Bible translation you know, makes makes the text, um, you know, how to access, and and in some ways alienating. So interesting. Um, um uh, and are these out or is this stuff you're working on? I'm working working on these. Okay. It's a pretty recent thing. I I mean, I, I was just doing other things for a while. Um, and, and part of it is just I've been writing so much nonfiction recently. I kind of have to get back in the saddle for. Perfection. Like so, yeah, that makes sense. Um, we're at the end. Uh, can I have your social media names for the different social media that you're on? Um, it's it's Andy Dibble and all of them. Should should I should I just email you my my handles? No, just uh, what are you on so they can? Oh, I am on Twitter and Facebook, and I've LinkedIn too. All right, and um, any, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on my show. Yeah, thank you, Sherry. I, I enjoyed this. Thank you, and thank you for chatting with Sherry. You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.